How's everybody today? A little delayed reaction there. It's uh, you guys are the ones that stayed up late last night, and it's been a long year, man. Yeah, it's, we, we're we're a good uh, eleven hours into it, but I, I am thrilled that you're here. And uh, like Brother Kenny said, man, I, I do hope you were able to be here this week. It was an incredible thing. Uh, but we this week we're trying to get our focus on the mission. And this morning, as we kind of put a bow on the conference and everybody kind of takes a breath of fresh air as you're getting the new year started, uh, what, what I'm calling today is keys to becoming and staying mission-focused. Now, for the last four or five years, this is a church that has had this missions conference. And what we have found is it's not really too difficult to come to this conference and become missions focused because that's all anybody ever talks about. I mean, if you're upstairs, downstairs, in the back or in the front, everybody is talking about the mission the, the problem is this conference is only about four and a half days. And so the problem isn't so much becoming mission focused. The, the problem is in staying that way. And, and so what, what I'd love to be able to be used of God to do if he should so grant it this morning is I'd love to share with you some things that I believe biblically if we could get our mind into this, could help us to stay mission-focused. And there's a, a threefold cord, I believe, that binds us to our mission. I, I think most of the people that are a part of this church, you, you have heard probably numerous times, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12 talks about the fact that a, a threefold cord is not easily broken. And what I want you to see is that there are three things that will have to become a part of the fabric of who we are if we are not only going to become, but stay mission-focused. And so that we might be able to remember these things by the time we get to our car, what I've tried to do is just wrap these three things around one word to just plant in, into your mind. And the first thing that it's going to take, if we're going to stay mission focused now, is passion. Passion. And, and I want you to understand when I talk about passion, I'm not just talking about, hey, we're going to have to stay up all year. We're going to have to be real enthusiastic people. We're going to have to be driven people, you know, lost people. <laughs> Or people, a lot of them try to stay up. A lot of them try to be enthusiastic or, and a lot of them are driven. But I'm not talking about any of that. What I'm talking about is a passion that you and I have for God. A passion that you and I have for God. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 36, God lays down some things that have several layers of application. Obviously, he is talking to the nation of Israel here, and so I, I get that. 
But, but what tips you off that there is another layer of application to this thing is this is a passage, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 28. If you look at the end of verse 28, he says, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Anybody recognize that verse from something in your New Testament? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul is talking to us about not being unequally yoked with the world, but coming out and being separate, he quotes Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 28. And so there is this layer of application where he is actually showing us what happens to us under the new covenant. He's pointing to a different time, a different dispensation in terms of, of, of the church. And what he says is this, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'll, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. And again, as we look into the New Testament application for those of us in the church, and we, we try to get our minds wrapped around just what happened to each one of us when we called upon the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What he shows us in this passage is when we called upon the name of the Lord, what happened to us, y'all, is we had a spiritual heart surgery. God gave to us a spiritual heart transplant. He says, a new heart I will give you. And he begins to talk about our old spiritual heart. And he says that that heart is a heart that is cold. And it's hard. It's unresponsive. It's lifeless. It's dead. Can you remember when that was your heart toward God? And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that stony heart out and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a heart that's warm. I'm going to give you a heart that's pliable. I'm going to give you a heart that is responsive to God. I am going to give you a heart that is full of life. And I want you to listen, a heart that beats for God, my brothers and sisters, that's what our salvation was. And with that new heart, he says, and I'll put a new spirit in you. Listen, we all understand the spiritual death that was ours when we were lost in sin. And he says, I'll give you a new spirit. I'll put my spirit inside of you. And listen, with that new heart and with that new spirit came a whole new set of desires so that the will of God is no longer something that I should do, but it's something that I want to do. 
what he says in this this passage and and what we see in the New Testament, as we begin to compare the Old Testament with the New Testament, the Old Covenant with the New Covenant, in that Old Covenant, it was all about thou, thou shalt, and thou shalt not. But have you ever noticed what he says in this verse and And what our New Testament communicates to us, what it actually communicates is that it is no longer thou. It's no longer you. It's no longer me and you and what we're to do and what we're not to do. What happened in this new covenant is it's all about, God says, what I will do what I will do. Would you look at at verse 26 again? I will give you a new heart. You're not going to get a new heart because of something you do. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will take away the stony heart. I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to keep my judgments. No, and, and I want you to get this, y'all. Not because we have to, but because we want to. He says, I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. The way that Paul describes this in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, it's not going to be up on the screen, so just listen to it real carefully. But he says that it is God which worketh. It is God which worketh in you, listen, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Paul says, that's the work of God in those of us that believe. He changes our desires and he gives to us the power to be able to carry out his will on this planet. And again, I'm wanting you to see that this new heart that God gave to us causes us not just to desire to do the will of God. It gives us, and this is going to be so simple, but it's so weighty. That new heart gives us a passion for God. Not just to do his will, but a passion for him that new spirit that he gave to us gives to us a desire for God. So, so our, our salvation, y'all, try to get your head wrapped around this. Our salvation made us passionate for God. Now, hey, everybody that's in this room that's got that new heart and that new spirit know that, man, whoo, <laughs> 
something goes on. And let me tell you what goes on. Sometimes what happens is the passion of our new heart gets submerged beneath a lot of other passions, the passions of our flesh, and they're competing for their way with this incredible desire that we have for God and to do his will. And the the key to this whole thing is allowing God to release the power and the passion that he placed in us when he saved us. Maybe get it in your notes this way. I must release the true passion of my new heart. And listen, y'all, that new passion is a passion for God himself. It seems to be such a simple point, but I'm saying to you that if we are going to stay focused on what we've talked about in this place for the last four and a half days, it is going to be because we are passionate for God. Now, what does that mean? What what does that look like in real life? And I want to just take a minute to let you just catch a man that we know had a passion for God. I'd like for you to see how this was lived out through the life of David for just a a minute as we look at just a a few places where David just kind of opens up his chest and shows us what it is to be a people who is passionate for God in Psalm 27 and, and verse 8, David said, when, when thou saidst, in other words, young people, God, when, when you said, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. And maybe for us to catch the full significance and the weight and the meaning of what David is actually saying in this verse, maybe, maybe we need to hear the way that a 21st century believer might say this. We talk a lot about we're living in the Laodicean age. Let, let, let's talk about how a Laodicean might say this. A Laodicean might say something like this to God. Oh, God, when you said, seek your face... My mind immediately said, Thy hand, Lord, will I seek. Something about us 21st century folks, when it comes to the Word of God, we, we, we try to get our mind wrapped around it, right? And I know that's part of it. But David was saying, oh God, when you said seek my face, something happened in my heart that transcended just me calculating it all through my mind. Something happened in my heart. And and, and again, the typical believer in the last days is far more interested in God's hand than we are his face. We're all about 
the gifts of God. We're all about the blessings of God. We're all about the provision of God. What David wanted was the fellowship of God's face, not simply the blessing of his hand. David was more interested than in, in the giver than he was the gifts. He was more interested in the blessor than he was the blessing. He was in pursuit of the provider and not just the provision. And yeah, man, I am absolutely convinced that David was thankful to God, just like all of us, for his blessing. Man, we can look back in 2016 and see the way that God has gifted us and blessed us and provided for us. And I'm not wanting to slight that in any way, but I'm just saying to you that when it came to David, as thankful as he was for all of those things, to David, God's greatest blessing that he had bestowed upon him was the blessing of himself. Look at verse 8 again, Psalm 27, verse 8. When thou saidst, seeking my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. In other words, Lord, when, when you expressed your passion and the longing of your heart for people to enter into the intimacy of a relationship with you to where we're able to know you and to be able to come into your presence and see your face. Listen, Lord, when, when I hear that, the response of my heart is an immediate, oh, God, I long for the intimacy of that relationship with you, God. And yes, God, I'm thankful for your gifts and your provision and your blessing, but oh God, I want you. In Psalm 42, David clears off another little space to give us a glimpse of what it is to be a man or woman or a young person who is passionate for God himself. He says, as the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so my soul, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. And what David does is he tries to paint a picture to, 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 Express just what it was that was going on on the inside of him. And he, he, he's saying, oh man, what, what it's like is it's, it's like this deer that is running up the mountain and then he runs down into the valley and he, he runs through the meadow and by the time he actually gets to the water brook, he is so parched and he is so panting. <laughs> After that water, David said, oh God, that's what I'm feeling on the inside of me for you. He, he says in verse two again, my soul, listen to it y'all, my soul thirsteth for God, not the things of God, not the people of God, 
My soul thirsteth for God. And notice the next part, not my soul thirsteth for God, for the giving God. My soul thirsts for the living God. God was David's very life, y'all. God was the longing of his soul. Another place is in Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2. And he says, oh God, thou art my God. And for about 98% of Christianity in these last days, they could put a period right there. And we get satisfied that we've got our eternal life insurance. Yep, he's my God, all right. Got saved September 24th, 1972, man. Going to heaven when I die. Yay. But that was just the beginning place for David. Oh God, thou art my God. Semicolon. Early will I seek thee. Heard this again. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. And once again, David is trying to give us an analogy that can help us to understand just what this passion was that was on the inside of him. And he, he describes it as a as a thirst in his soul that was so intense that it even began to affect him physically. He begins talking about how it's the longing in his flesh. And, and listen, what was going on on the inside of him in his soul that was working itself out, outward made him seek God, listen, y'all, passionately. He says it was so intense that I feel like a man who is trudging his way through a, a, a barren, hot, arid desert where he can't find any water. That's what it looks like to be passionate for God. In Psalm 84 and verse two, the psalmist says, my, my soul longeth, here it is again. Yea, listen to this. Even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. In other words, to be able to come into his presence. He says, my heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Oh my goodness, y'all, do you see the passion? He says here, it's in my soul. It's in my heart. It's in my, my flesh. And it makes me long to be in his presence. And sometimes that passion in me is so intense. He says it, it makes my soul feel like it's going to pass out. And, and notice it, it, he says it made his heart and his flesh not just cry out. Notice at the end of verse two. Not just to cry out 
to the living God. But to cry out. What's the word, y'all? about crying out to him. Man, I, I, I've got a real life like all of y'all. And I cry out to him a lot, man. David's talking about something a little bit different here. He's talking about crying out for God. I, I, I ask you, my brothers and sisters, where are the people in, in the last days who hunger, who thirst, who long, who yearn, who crave, who pant for our God? Is it you? As I'm reading through David and David is expressing that, are you right now going, mm, I know exactly what he's talking about. Or has 2016 left you at a place to where, oh God, I've gotten away. I'm so involved in all of the things and the work but I'm no longer passionate for God if we're going to keep ourselves mission focused it begins there y'all and, and that's really all we need to concern ourselves with. As we're leaving here, let, let me make this, this conference as simple as it can possibly be. Because I'm telling you, man, I have been on such a buzz over the last few days, man. And we, all of us that have been here, it has just been absolutely incredible. And I think in all of our minds, we're going, man, I wish we could just you know, build some tabernacles here and set up shop and let's, you know, let's do this thing. But all it's really going to take is for us to have a passion for God. But I want to show you the second strand in that chord, as it were. Okay, so it begins with passion, a passion that I have for God, but it continues in a second thing that we might could call, and I already know that this isn't a word, but it, it translates into something we might could call co-passion, co-passion. And, and this, listen, y'all, is a passion that I share with God. Okay, the first one, passion, was a passion I have for God. This is a passion that I share with God. And here's the key thing that I want you to see. When I have a passion for God, God's passion 
will become my passion. And of course, the, the, the question that we would have to ask ourselves is what is God's passion? Do you know what his passion is? Y'all don't say anything out loud because if I could just give you a hint, his passion is not people. I, I, I know that's what we say all the time in 21st century Christianity. But biblically, what God is passionate for is the worldwide fame of his name. Can somebody say amen to that? He is passionate for his glory. He is passionate for his glory. Okay, I I get it. You know, everybody's figured out that this is, you know, this is a missions message, but I I want you to understand something. The, The real purpose of this message isn't to champion a cause as noble as a cause as world missions is. If I'm championing a cause at all this morning, it's for all of us who name God's name to fall so passionately in love with him that what is a passion to him is a passion to us. And what is precious to him is precious to us. And what is a priority to him is a priority to us. And what is paramount to him is paramount to us. And listen, y'all, above everything else, our God has an all-consuming, all-embracing, preoccupying obsession and undying passion for the worldwide fame of his name. Listen, his glory is the motivation behind everything that he does. And I want you to I want you to listen as I try to take this big old book for just a second. And maybe give you the big picture and maybe in a way that we don't typically talk about it. Maybe maybe we'll be able to hear it with fresh ears. As human beings, what has actually happened is we find ourselves right smack dab in the middle of the greatest love story imaginable. And as hard as it is to get our layout of sea and minds wrapped around this, listen, the love story is not first and foremost about us. It includes us, but it's not first and foremost about us. And I, I want to make sure that as I, you know, lest you miss everything else that I'm saying, I'm not in any way trying to minimize the love that God has for human beings. I'm not in any way trying to trivialize the, the love that is in God's heart. We know that, okay. 
But that, as Laodiceans, as those of us in these perilous last days, that, that's where we, we think, because we're lovers of our own selves, that this whole thing is about us, when really what this, this whole thing is about is a story about a very loving father who has a son that loves him dearly. And that father loves the son, the son loves the father, and the way that it unfolds is this. Long before there was a universe for the earth to orbit in, and long before there were ever any humans to inhabit this planet that he called earth, the loving father went on a, on a search through his mind and through his heart. And the search went through this thing that he had not yet created, this thing that is called time. And as he began, because time didn't exist then, it's hard to get our minds wrapped around that, isn't it? But before any of this ever happened, God went on a search for a bride to give as a love gift to his son. And in his mind's eye, he saw a drop-dead gorgeous bride that was comprised of every kindred tongue, people, and nation. And every one of those that comprise this bride loved his son passionately and worshipped him passionately. Do you understand, y'all, that this is really what the book of Ephesians is trying to get clear to us? You know, we, oh, I get so about what people do with the book of Ephesians. Listen, this whole God choosing us before the foundation of the world, do you understand? It isn't about God choosing individuals for salvation. I like you. You'll go with me. You. You. Listen, the book of Ephesians is God talking about a choice that he was making before time existed about a group of people that would corporately become the body and the bride for his son. And Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 says that, again, before the foundation of the world, God chose me. Is that what it says? He chose us. That we, who's the we in the book of Ephesians? The church, the body of Christ, that we would be in him. The church, the body and bride of Christ, that we would be in him so that our sorry selves could be holy and without blame before him in love. 
But why? What was all of that about? Verse 6 says that we should be to the praise of his, say it, y'all. Glory. (laughs) That's the issue. And again, I want to say to you that the father is passionate about his son receiving the glory from his bride. The church is his love gift. That's why God did what he did when he saved us and made us something unique. But listen, there's another part to the love story. Not only is the father passionate about his son receiving glory from that bride, but listen, the the son is also passionate about the father receiving glory from that bride. And and so you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24 says that the son is ultimately gonna do with this love gift that gets presented to him from his father? It's, It's the most incredible thing in all the world. The father says, and here comes the bride and we all, fall at his feet and give him glory. And the father takes that love gift and delivers it back to the father so that the father can receive the glory that is due his name. First Corinthians 15, 24 says, then cometh the end when he, Christ, shall have delivered up the kingdom to God even The Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, and that is when the kingdom comes and he finally gets the glory that is due his name. And man, the Father presents us to the Son and we glorify him. And the Son presents us to the Father and we glorify him. And listen, if you really want to understand what the God of the universe is passionate about, he's passionate about that, that his name would be glorified. Who, whose name? The, the father or the son? Yes. Yeah. But it's not going to happen until the kingdom comes. He, he won't actually receive that glory that is due his name until the kingdom comes. And here, here's the key, y'all. When, when we, listen, When we get passionate for God, we get passionate about what he's passionate about and we share in his passion, a passion for his glory, a passion for his kingdom to come. And we see every single day of our life through that lens. So it starts with passion a passion that I have for God. And that transcends into co-passion, a passion that I share with God. And then here comes the third word. Do you already know what it's going to be? Compassion. Compassion. And this is a passion that God gives me for people. A passion that God gives me for, for people. 
And when God's passion has become my passion, I'll be filled with compassion. And again, it is a passion for God's people. Very familiar passage in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. It says that Jesus went all about the cities and the villages and their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And he he began in his ministry to look and to, to see what was really going on. And I'm saying to you, y'all, that if we are ever going to have compassion for the people around us, it begins by having a passion for the God who lives in us. We'll never keep ourselves motivated 365 days a year to have compassion for people. It it just ain't going to happen, y'all, unless we have a passion for God that is translated into caring what he cares about. And what he cares about is his glory. And when we begin to see that he ain't getting the glory that's due his name today. Because the people of this universe, they still got that old stony heart that is hard and cold and unresponsive and dead and he's given to us a message the only thing that can bring them out of that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and because of the passion that we share with him that was driven by a passion that we have for him what happens is we begin to have the same kind of compassion for people because we see past all of the bells and whistles and all of the temporal things in this world. But I do want to tell you, y'all, if we, if we do this and we, we start, I just love that the new year is starting on a day when we're gathering together as the body of Christ and we can be challenged. Listen, if, if in 2017, We all just left here today and said, okay, God, 2016's gone. I may have blown it in a lot of ways, but I've got a new year before me. And every day of this new year, your mercies are going to be new every morning. And I can't do anything to to change what has already happened back there. But in 2017... I'm going to make my single passion to be passionate for you. Don't don't, don't worry about, okay, and and so how do I get that co-passion? You get it by having a passion for God. And when you share that passion with God, you get compassion And if I can say this with all due respect, that if we really get there, we're going to be a bunch of wackos. 
in the best possible way. Make that your New Year's resolution. I want to be a wacko. And let me tell you why, why I say that. And, you know, and I realize that we, you know, in our culture, we, we have people that struggle in a lot of different ways. And, and some, some people just mentally start having issues where they, they hear voices. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hello? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> let me tell you something, y'all. If we do this, we're probably going to start hearing voices. Like Isaiah, we'll probably hear the voice of the Father above us crying out, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Have you ever heard your God? Have you ever heard him cry out, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Let me assure you of something. If you hear him saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us and you are in his presence, I guarantee you, you'll have the same exact response that Isaiah had. Hey, here am I. Send me. As we talk about missions, everybody's getting all holy. I'm just waiting for the call. Okay, here. Get real passionate for your God. And listen up. And I want to see who, who it is that has a new heart inside of their spiritual chest. It isn't going to say... God, if you're taking volunteers, man, if you need somebody to go, send me. Oswald J. Smith used to say, why are we waiting for a call when we have a command? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Like Paul with the Macedonians. We will hear the lost multitudes around us as they cry out, come over and help us. Let me just ask you, if you heard the people of Malawi crying, would you come over and would you help us? If you heard the people in Albania and Estonia and Australia and whatever other country in the world, if you heard them saying, would you come over and help us? How could we refuse to help people who need the very thing that we have received from our God? And like Lazarus, we'll hear the damned souls cry out from below us. Hey, send Mark to my brothers, lest, lest they also come into this place of torment. And, 
And I, and I wish all of us this morning could take just a moment to, to maybe let, let some of the people that are in hell this morning call out our name like the rich man did. Send Lazarus. What if they said, send, plug your name in right there. To my family, lest they come to this terrible place of torment. Man, you know what I want in 2017? Man, I want to become a wacko. That hears voices every single day, man. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Come over and help us. Hey, Mark, would you go to my family so that they don't have to come to this place? Let's don't make it hard, y'all. Don't worry about getting compassion. Don't worry about co-passion. But do release the power and the passion of the new heart that God gave you, a heart that beats for him and get passionate for God in 2017.